This is Phil Goldberg, and welcome to this special edition of the Spirit Matters podcast. A few months ago, in the spring of 2021, I was uh, honored to be invited to interview Sadhguru on the occasion of the uh, launch of his new book, Karma, A Yogi's Guide to Crafting Your Destiny. How can I? There it is. And um, the people at the Isha Foundation were nice enough to allow us to reproduce the interview as part of our podcast series. So uh, you won't see Dennis, my usual co-host. He was not part of the interview. But you will see the uh, full version of my interview with Sadhguru about the important subject of karma. For those of you who don't know who uh, Sadhguru is, uh, his full name is Sadhguru Jagi Vasudev. He's a renowned spiritual teacher in India and most of the world. And he uh, is the founder of the Isha Foundation, which has offerings online and in person. You can uh, Google it. And you can uh, listen to the previous interview we did with Sadhguru a few years ago on the podcast by looking in our archive at spiritmatterstalk.com. So without further ado, here is my interview with Sadhguru on karma. Namaskar, I'm Phil. Wonderful to see you. And uh, you are, a, you know, you are a big scholar. You even written a Veda. I am like this. I know oh, only no. this and nothing else. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is a very well done book. I congratulate you. And I, I have to confess, I, I was, I'm so eager to do this. I have a ton of questions for you. And because um, uh, the subject of karma has been very meaningful to me for you know as long as I've been studying uh, the Indian philosophy and yogic philosophy and the truth is <laughs> I'm going to admit publicly I I have been thinking of writing a book about about karma but now I may not have to because you've done it so uh, I don't have to maybe write a book about karma because uh, you've done such a good job and I can learn how to play golf instead. <laughs> that you should do, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> because when you can't hit a sitting ball, that is karma, okay? <laughs> well, this is true. Um, if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to ask you a question that... Um, Skeptical people have often asked me when I mention karma, uh, and that is, is there any evidence 
that karma is a real thing that can can it be demonstrated or proved that it's it's not it's something more real than a, a construct that human beings made up uh, to make the universe seem like a fair place and uh, and coherent how do we know well uh, they can experiment like this tonight uh, they can eat a very bad dinner <laughs> All right? Tomorrow morning, your body will tell you, previous day you've done bad karma <laughs> All right? So... That, that, that's what uh, the uh, John Lennon called instant karma. <laughs> okay. What about the rest of the picture? So, uh, it is not instant, it took a, a night long of process, night long process to uh, tell you that this was a bad karma, what you did yesterday, because when you were doing the bad karma, it felt good. It's only tomorrow morning. So similarly, some things may tell you within twelve hours, something may take twelve years, something may take a lifetime, but whatever wrong impressions that we take into our system, either physical system, psychological system, emotional, uh, you know, aspect of our life, or the energetic dimension of our life, whatever wrong inputs or impressions we make upon that, will tell after some time. So this is not uh, if they are thinking about, because you mentioned fairness, they are thinking in terms of bad people are being punished, good people are being rewarded. Well, <laughs> you must then, you've not seen the world, you're just imagining things. Uh, it is not about you being good and bad, it is just that what impressions you take in, how you respond to those impressions, accordingly your karma forms itself, accordingly situations will evolve, accordingly you develop tendencies which will drive you in certain directions. So, karma, is there any proof? As I said, the simplest way is eat bad food, do it, you will see tomorrow. Or do one thing, behave badly with somebody today, tomorrow you will know the results, or maybe it'll be even quicker if it's at home. <laughs> now, now, speaking about the passage of time, um, some people would say that uh, you can't understand karma, or you can't make a, a, the case that karma uh, is, exists when there's so many uh, people doing bad things who seem to be... Uh, have good lives and good people suffer unless you take into account many lives. So does a person have to accept reincarnation? Is reincarnation built into the understanding of karma to the point where it doesn't make uh, logical sense without it? Not at all. I have, nobody should go into areas. Nobody should enter areas which is not yet in their experience. Right now, what is in most people's experience is from the moment that you were born to this moment of your life, you know all these things happened. Did all of it happen consciously? No, most of it happened unconsciously. The impressions that you're taking in are not always happening consciously. To put this into context, let me uh, say this, that uh, for example, let us say uh, you walk 50 meters in front of your home or 50 yards in front of your home. If you just look around, your eye takes in so many impressions, all right? 
people, trees, animal, whatever else, it is taking in so much, not all of it is conscious, only if something is acute, either very pleasant or very unpleasant, you register, otherwise you are just walking through, but all these impressions are recorded in the system. So from morning to evening, from the day time you wake up till you go to sleep, how much of your karma is conscious means, I would say it's way below one percent for most human beings on the planet. So when ninety-nine plus percentage of your life and your karma you are doing unconsciously, when it comes back to you, you obviously think something superpower is hitting you in the face. No, no, because if you want to understand this, I won't advise a car because most people only have cars, but still you must get yourself a bicycle and uh, ride for ten minutes. Where nine minutes you rode with eyes closed, we definitely know where to pick you up, isn't it? So, this is just like that. From morning to evening, physical karma, mental karma, emotional karma, energetic karma is happening every moment of your life, in wakefulness and in sleep, it's happening. Now, the question is not what you're exposed to, the question is how you respond to it. Today, whatever comes your way, how you respond to it, that's your karma. What came towards you is not your karma, because that's a world's karma, that's a collective karma, that has its own play. But the important thing is your personal karma is about how you either compulsively react or consciously respond. If you're consciously responding to whatever is coming your way right now, then whatever is your past karma has no impact on you right now, this moment. I was very pleased uh, to see in the book you make a big point of um, sort of uh, dispensing with some common misunderstandings about karma. Um, and so I, I, I'd like to ask you to elaborate on, on two of those. One is that uh, most people see karma or if, if they have a superficial understanding of it or they just hear, you know, the basic concept that uh, it's about a system of rewards and punishments, like a, a judicial system of some kind. And, and the other is that if you uh, believe that karma is real, then uh, it, it's a kind of fatalism that everything is predetermined. And uh, it's actually the opposite. Can you, can you elaborate on those, those points? See, <laughs> it's, uh, it's amusing that you use the word judicial system. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what people think it is. But in, uh, let's say in your America's judicial system or in any country, or in most countries, let's say, uh, <clears throat> in the judicial system, whatever you might have done, you have uh, an opportunity to defend yourself, to explain your position, either uh, you did not do it or if you did it, why you did what you did, there is some opportunity. So in this judicial system that you're talking about, you have no role, they're just going to wrap you, <laughs> either on your head or hang you or whatever. This is a kangaroo court you're talking about, this is not a judicial, judicial system. So is there a kangaroo court which will anyway hang you for things that they think you did? No, there is no such thing. You need to understand a human being is a composite of variety of memories which are formed within us. When I say variety of memories, it goes back 
to evolutionary memory, from amoeba to now, all the evolution that's happened, in some way is in this system, is, is recorded in this system. So this is the reason why you know that yoga asanas are all named after various creatures because the idea is to work out those karmas, being in those postures. Today the way unfortunately yoga is being taught is about twisting and turning. Otherwise, looking at a per person's karmic background, we will say this is the asana you must do. Even now, that's how we do. The general asanas are taught in the beginning, but after some time we say this is what you must do. Because we see that is what you're stuck with. When I say, let's say you have to do a crocodile asana, this doesn't mean you are a crocodile. But it is just that you have a few tendencies like that. Every human being has various tendencies within themselves. These tendencies are unconscious tendencies, which are a consequence of the type of karmic imprints we have taken and how we have experienced those imprints within ourselves and how we relate those imprints to everybody else around us, accordingly we will form certain tendencies. These are called vasanas, as you know. They are called vasanas. Vasana means smell. This is a perfect uh, word to use because a smell emanates in such a way. Let's say today in the garbage can, somebody put, uh, yesterday they had a party and there was lots of roses in their house, uh, but you know, they don't have any place once the party is over. They took a truckload of uh, roses, you know, little uh, yesterday's roses, but they put it in the garbage can. Today, if you walk by the garbage can, it smells like flowers. Tomorrow, somebody put some rotten fish in it. Well, it smells rotten fish. So, depending upon how it smells, accordingly different lives go towards it. This is what karma is. Depending upon what type of vasana you have or the consequential impact you have in the atmosphere around you, accordingly you draw certain situations, people, lives around you and you are also drawn in those directions. So, this is the reason why we are saying you must fix your karma. Fixing your karma does not mean fix the past. No Nobody can fix the past. There is no such thing as fixing the past. Past you can only remember. Present you can only experience. Future you can create. So karma is about this, that past karma you cannot fix. But the present moment's karma is in your hands. If you take this into your hands, you will create your future. You will craft your destiny the way you want. If you do not take present moment's karma, if you allow the past karma to seep into this moment, then you will just repeat the cycles of past going over and over. This in the... Because you are a Veda person, I am repeating the, all these Indian words for you. Normally in America, I don't talk about this. This is called a samsara. Samsara means life has become cyclical. Same things are repeating over and over again. These cycles, how quickly or uh, what short cycles they are on or long cycles they are on, determines the stability of who you are, the equanimity of the person that you are, and how conscious you can be. You may be trying to be conscious. But if your, if your karmic cycles are very short, then try as hard as you want, it won't happen. You need to lengthen the karmic cycle. As it becomes longer, you come to more ease. Your karma and the tension of the karma comes to ease. When it comes to ease, becoming conscious becomes more effortless. Otherwise, you are just mistaking mental alertness to be conscious. With mental alertness, you will become more and more excitable, more and more tense, more and more uh, 
uh, easily provocable. Uh, but if you become conscious, nobody can provoke you, nothing uh, really throws you off the, you know, your rocker. But if you are, if you are trying to do it, if you are trying to become conscious by being mentally alert, with this you are always on your nerves. So this is very important to understand, becoming mentally alert is not consciousness. If consciousness has to happen, your physical structure, your psychological structure, your energy structure has to come to a little bit of ease. Ease that we can come to is you go into a long cycle along with the solar cycle because the cycles of the sun, the cycles of the moon and how they relate to the planet has a significant impact on how we are made. This uh, solar system is a potter's wheel. Depending upon the way it spins accordingly, it spun out those kind of lives. There's a very beautiful uh, thing in, uh, you know, the Adi Yogi says when people ask around him, his disciples, the seven sages who are sitting around him, they ask. When he talks about evolution, he says the first form of life was fish, then it was amphibious, then uh, it became uh, a mammal which was a wild boar, then it became half man, half animal, then a dwarfed man, then a um, uh, full-fledged man but very volatile, then a peaceful man, then a loving man, then a mystical man. Like this they explain, Adiyogi explains, when he says this, they ask, can we evolve further right now? So he says, if you have to physically evolve further, some major or drastic change needs to happen in the solar system and that is not going to happen. So the only way you can evolve is that you can be you can evolve consciously. If you try to evolve physically, it will not happen because the potter's wheel is spinning at a certain speed, it is not going to cooperate with you. So, this is a clear statement that this potter's wheel of solar system has spun out a certain kind of life. Suppose, let's say the trajectory of the planet changed. All life will either change or get obliterated, something will happen. Let's say the spin of the planet becomes more than what it is or less than what it is. Accordingly, the shape of life on this planet will change. Today, they are trying to connect the the, the geo movements of the earth and the neurological system, how they are connected. They are trying to link these things, still it's in an early stage. But the yogic system talks about this, how we have evolved is not because of anything else, simply because of the structure of the solar system itself determines what type of life we are. And we've reached a point where physical evolution will not happen further. If you want to evolve, you have the choice of evolving consciously. But if you want to grow horns, well, you need to go somewhere else. Since you brought up uh, Sanskrit terms like vasana, um, the other word that uh, people who study these things or just hear about them in you know their yoga class or whatever uh, hear about in this context is samskara. How do, could you clarify the difference between samskara, vasana? and how they tie into karma. See, vasana is a, a consequential impact of an individual's karma. Suppose, let's say as a community we are living here, let us say our genetics are very connected, 
let's say in, you know, in India people used to live like this. I've been in such families, uh, not my own, but I've visited such families and stayed with them. I went into a family where the overall family was little over four hundred people in one large house. Huge house with lots of children and over four hundred people. Probably generations of people lived there, they built the house, made it bigger and bigger and you know, they all lived together. Uh, so, if you live like that, one thing is genetic content is generally same. Additions might have happened, but generally the same type of, uh, type of genetic content. Food is same, atmosphere is same, behavioral patterns, social uh, norms within the home, or if you call it a community, 400 is a community, you know, it's not really a family. But in a way, a community is a family. People are trying to make a community into a family so there is a bigger bonding between them. So, the genetic factors and everything else, if it matches, now the samskara is strong. So, it, to, we can take it to this extent. This may sound like a little bit of a stretch. Suppose we are in this kind of atmosphere and let's say you are the head of the family. No, I'm not blaming you for the 400 people. I'm just using you as an example, Phil. <laughs> Suppose you are... <laughs> you are the head of the family and you have a certain amount of knowledge and skills about something. Let us say you know hundred things. You don't have to teach these hundred things to these four hundred people. If you teach five things to these four hundred people, the remaining ninety-five things they will know by themselves. Any number of experiments have been conducted. Usually we conduct… these days we are conducting experiments on mice. It has been shown that if uh, one mice learns something today, next seven generations they all learned by themselves without being told anything. So, this is called samskara, where there is a collective karma which is happening. It is an ecosystem that happens. This is happening among plants, among trees, that what one species of plant knows here, knows everywhere and they warn each other, they communicate with each other, long distances they're communicating with each other. Well, people are saying whales are doing this across thousands of miles. If one group of whales are affected by something, they tell everybody that this is happening. So, that is actual maybe speaking, that is not really samskara, but without saying anything about it, as I said, if you know hundred things, you don't have to teach hundred things. You teach five things and set the direction. The remaining things, each individual in that community, according to their intelligence and competence, they will just pick it up. The rest of it, they don't know how they learnt it, but they all know it. This has been demonstrated any number of times in various tribes, tribes which are still, uh, you know, reasonably exclusive from the modern societies. It has been distinctly noticed. This is samskara, that there is a collective learning, there is a collective understanding, there is a collective fear, there is a collective skill. All these things are collective. Certain communities have gone into fearful states, unnecessary levels of fear exist within them, because in the past somebody experienced some fear which was of uh, a certain level of, uh, what to say, certain degree which impacted them so much. 
Today, the generation here might have forgotten those events completely. Nobody might have told them about those events. But fear about certain things will exist within them. So this is why in India, there is a whole process in the yogic system, how to distance yourself from the karma. If you do not distance yourself, you are not a new person. Your life is going waste because you are just an extension of previous generation. That is not the way a human being is supposed to live. A human being is a fresh possibility. It doesn't matter what our parents were. It doesn't matter what our forefathers were. Today, we are here as fresh life. If you want to experience that, if you want to know the joy of that, if you want to experience the exuberance of that, and above all, if you want to explore the possibilities of that, it's very, very important you conduct your present karma consciously. Very good. Um, one of the things uh, I found interesting about the book is you, you um, emphasize memory a lot. Um, most people, when they hear the word memory, they think of just the stuff we remember from our past. No, these days they but think memory see? means they think we're talking about their phone. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it, the, the phone being an extension of their own brain, so it's the stuff in... You're right. <laughs> But, but they think mainly of things uh, that we remember. But you seem to use the word memory in a much more subtle and uh, nuanced way. And uh, you write about the, uh, the, how memory affects karma. It, maybe you could explain that to the listeners, um, why is memory so important in this context? See, it is not that memory affects karma. Memory is karma. What you're calling as karma is just memory. Maybe residual memory. May not be a clear-cut memory, it's a residual memory. That certain impressions happen, the residual memory of that remains within you and plays up in its own way. So, this memory, or what we are calling as memory, is the basis of who you are right now. You as a person feel right now. You are a person only because, let's say you are a human being, only because there is memory. We'll start from that point. Suppose there was no evolutionary memory in you, that you are a human being. Well, we could change forms probably, you know. If you eat a different kind of food, you may become something very different. Right now, there is evolutionary memory which every cell in your body 100% knows you are a human being. There is no confusion ever. Right now, virus is all over the place. We have more bacteria in our body than our own genetic cells. But still, our cells have never gotten for a moment confused whether this is human or not. This is evolutionary memory. Similarly, there is genetic memory. There is, there is also elemental memory, let me not go there, but there is something called as articulate and inarticulate memory. That is, there is certain amount of memory which articulates itself in so many ways. There is certain kind of memory which does not articulate itself. It is like uh, the hardcore stuff which is there, which doesn't find expression anywhere, but that influences everything. It's like the foundation. 
of this house where you never see the foundation, you never enjoy the foundation, but everything is standing here because of that. So there is a foundational memory of karma which makes everything grow in a certain direction. So similarly, as you know, modern science is talking, modern psychiatry is talking about unconscious, subconscious and conscious levels of memory. What is in our usable level of memory, consciously usable level of memory, well, that is a minuscule. But this body carries enormous amount of memory. For example, <coughs> see, uh, Phil, right now, let us say we'll go back five hundred years. Five hundred years ago, your great, 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 I don't know how many times I have to say great, maybe twenty-five times if I say I will get there, that grandfather of yours, Obviously, you do not remember how, what he looks like, there are no pictures, there are no nothing. But his nose may be right now sitting on your face, exactly the way it was on his face. Very much possible, isn't it? Well, your forefathers, wherever they came from, what kind of skin tone they had, even today, in between so many mixtures might have happened, you know. There may have been so many parentages, of course we need two parents to breed. So it would have happened in twenty-five generations, we don't know what all happened. But still, your body remembers each of that very clearly. Very clearly, this complex memory system, it remembers. So without memory, there is no you. What you call as myself, your individual person, physical, psychological, emotional and even energetic person that you are, is essentially because of memory. Otherwise, without memory, there is no form. Where there is no memory, there is no form. You have a form, all these four aspects of form or four dimensions of form, physical, mental, emotional and energetic forms, only because of memory. So memory or karma is not your enemy. Only because of karmic substance you are a person. If we remove all karma, you are no more a person. Now, the question, the important aspect is, will you stand upon the past karma and live your present life, or will you sink into it? That's all the choice you have. It is to exercise that choice that the book is an effort to give them an, a step-by-step -step way of coming on stage, not sinking into the stage. If you want to do your act today, you must be on stage. If you sink into it, what can you do? One of the things I think uh, happens to people if they uh, absorb the lessons of karma or the, accept the, the notion of karma is um, you, you, you can't feel sorry for yourself anymore. <laughs> That's, isn't that a good thing? It's like a golf game. <laughs> if you are playing a cricket game, if you're playing football, you could always say, you know, the other guy did this, did that. Sitting ball. If you can't hit a sitting ball, you know you're a dud, all right? So, this is the most important aspect of karma, this is the most dynamic aspect of karma, that you are the maker of your life. In a way, this is a movement, this is a movement within you, to move the controls from somewhere up in the sky to within yourself about your life. And see, right now, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, say something about against any religion or anything. For example, let's say your parents, not necessarily your parents, the previous generation of people, 
In that generation, at least ninety percent of the people believed they were going to heaven in this country. Now your generation, how many people believe they are going to heaven? They are confused, maybe ten, twenty percent, rest of the people are not sure, but they are not uh, willing to openly say that, simply because they don't know, they're confused. You ask the next generation of people, how many of them want to go to heaven? One hundred percent, they are saying clearly no, ninety percent of the youth will say, no, I don't want to go to heaven. Because they don't find attractive, because nobody told them there is Wi-Fi out there. <laughs> All the things that the heaven is promising is no more interesting for them. They don't want to go there. So I'm saying the next generation of people definitely want to be in some way the makers of their own destiny. They don't want some power up there to decide how they will live, how they will experience their life. They want to take charge of it. Or in other words, in many ways, heaven is collapsing in people's minds. It was a major entity, just in, uh, in the last few generations ago, it was a major entity which determined your behavior. Because if you do this, you'll go to heaven, if you do that, you'll go to hell. This carrot and stick was working for certain people. But now we have come to a place for the next generation of people, they want to be crafting their own destiny. They don't want to be ruled by somebody else up there. And when we say... Up there, simple questions are being asked. Planet is round and it's spinning. Which is up, which is down? You don't know. In this cosmos, nowhere is it marked this side up. So you don't even know which is up, which is down. How come you know everything about what is up there? So what about people in Australia? What do they do? Which is up for them? <laughs> so, uh, see these simple questions you cannot answer, so heaven starts collapsing in your mind. Once heaven collapses, the most important thing is karma. You need to understand you are 100% responsible for the person that you are right now. You may not be totally actively involved in everything that happens around you, because what happens around us is determined by so many people's karma. So many forces around us, not everything is ours. We have our peace, but not everything is ours. But what happens within me? How I experience this life? Is this experience of life blissful or miserable? Is it agitation? Is it tranquility? Am I in the highest level of possibility or am I just tangled up within myself? Is entirely my doing. This has to come home to every human being. Otherwise, human beings will continue to live irresponsibly. Human beings will continue to use their intelligence and competence in most destructive ways. See, unfortunately, even science and technology has been continuously used in a most destructive way. Though it is one of the most wonderful things that we have done, unfortunately, the consequences have not been good. Always the cutting-edge technology and science goes into the military use first. Only when they are done with it, it will come to other uses. And uh, above all, see right now we are talking about a great ecological disaster, impending disaster waiting for us. All this unfortunately is a consequence of our capabilities. This is not a consequence of our incapability. This is not a consequence of lack of intelligence. Our intelligence itself is working against us. We need to understand this is our doing, this is our karma. We are using every instrument that comes into our hands against ourselves, against each other all the time. This is because we don't understand it's our doing. 
we think it's happening from somewhere else. This brings up another uh, question, which is, we've been talking mostly about individual karma. Is there group karma? Is there family karma? Is there collective karma for humanity? And how do, how do those things work and affect us? See, in terms of creating situations, in terms of creating a certain climate on the planet of either well-being or ill-health or whatever, there is a collective karma. Today, how we behave in Los Angeles will determine how many people will get this virus or not, all right? This is a collective karma. But what happens within me is entirely my karma. When I say what happens within me, the experience of life 100% happens within me. Pain and pleasure happens within me, joy and misery happens within me, agony and ecstasy happens within me, everything that you ever experience happens within you, all right? So our experience of life is 100% individual karma. When I say 100% individual karma, if human beings were like this, that they know this is their karma and they all of them became blissful. I've been working on this project for forty years. <laughs> I'm a big failure, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> so, I've been working on this, but what I see is so many people are so heavily in, you know, invested in their miseries that they won't give it up even if the best thing is offered to them. So this is individual karma. Suppose you are like you as an individual person, let us say you became like this wherever you sit, you are in the highest level of blissfulness. Now, you just… you just even imagine this and see, would you do something compulsively? Would, would I? anybody, I'm saying as a… as a… as an individual, I'm saying. Not if they could control it. Not if they were conscious. No, no, if they were blissful, if they were blissful. Right now, people are compulsive no. No. because they're in pursuit of happiness. That's why they're compulsive. Why is it that I want to eat this? Why is it that I want to drink this? Why is it I want to do this compulsively? Because that's my happiness right now. If I am blissful by my own nature, I will simply do what is needed. If… if it's there, I will do it. If it's not there, nothing matters. If this one thing happens to humanity, then uh, collective karma will be in a wonderful space. Very easily we can communicate things. Right now, see, for example, this pandemic. Earlier we have faced other kinds of epidemics. We didn't have this word pandemic then, I think. At least I didn't hear about it. So whatever epidemics, we had plagues, we had malarias, we had other things going. When these things happened, it was either mice or mosquitoes or some bird or something carried the virus. So first thought in us was, let's eliminate all the mice on the planet. Well, people tried this, all right? They couldn't do it, that's a different matter, they would have. They tried to eliminate all the mosquitoes in the world. But right now, this pandemic, we are the sole carriers right now. Now, what do you do? You can't eliminate the humanity. 
So what is the one thing you… in the very beginning in 2020, people asked Sadhguru, what's the solution? See, if only I've been uh, screaming horse for last forty years, the same thing. I'm telling you, you need to move from compulsiveness to consciousness. This is the only way out for a human being. If all of us are conscious, okay, some viruses come, what is its incubation cycle? They said fourteen days. Fourteen days, we just remain where we are, every one of us on this planet. Don't meet anybody new. If five people are in the family, just stay there. Even if you got the infection, stay there. Don't have the infection, stay there, all right? Whatever treatment needed, we'll bring it home. Finished in fourteen days, your pandemic is over because its incubation cycle is only fourteen days. But because human beings are not in that conscious state, now when everything is going bad, people around you are falling dead, now you want to have a haircut. Now you want to go and have a drink, <laughs> now you want to go to the party, now you want, want to go and pray. Somebody wants to compulsively go to the temple, somebody wants to compulsively go to the pub, something or the other. Compulsive behavior essentially. This is simply because we have been constantly talking about the first question that you raised. We've been unfortunately constantly talking about creating good human beings. We think there are good habits and bad habits. There are no good habits and bad habits. Habit means you're unconscious. You like to do things unconsciously. This is what karma does to you, it'll make you automatic. It has certain benefits. Many things are automatic. Right now in the morning, if you pick up your toothbrush, you don't have to every day figure out how to brush your teeth. But actually, if you figure out how to brush your teeth every day, if you're conscious of it, this is my experience, people may laugh at this. I notice depending upon what I have eaten and what it could be on that day, various things. On certain days I need more brushing, on certain days I need less brushing. I know this very consciously, I'm, I'm paying attention to this. One day it is over in one minute or one and a half minutes, another day I brush for three, four minutes. This is not decided by anything, this is decided by what my teeth needs on that day. All right, depending on what it is. But right now we've decided everybody must brush three minutes in the morning. <laughs> like this we are brought… we have brought this into every aspect of life, thinking we are making human beings either disciplined or good. See, goodness has been a serious problem. <laughs> I mean to say, please tell me, Bad people means who? Somebody who is into some crime, somebody who harms somebody else for their benefit. They kill people, they rob people, they do these things unfortunately. But people who think they are good, they are the people who wage wars. They are the people who commit genocides. No criminal wants to come genocide because he wants to do pickpocket. He doesn't want you dead. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> the so-called bad people do only small-scale negative things. Good people, once they get into a certain mode of goodness, they will eliminate each other. Just see, a good, a good citizen of this nation wants to kill the good citizen of another nation. Good, good practitioner of this religion wants to kill a good practitioner of another. The more good they are, more fighting they are endlessly. So this goodness has taken a huge toll. Karma means this, there is no good and bad. 
you just have to understand for everything that you are, for every thought, for every emotion, for every energetic vibration and every action that you perform, there is a consequence. You… when you perform the action, you measure the consequence. Can you handle the consequence joyfully? If you can, please do. You will face the consequence. So, this is a self-regulatory thing. This is not about being regulated by another power up there. And this is not my concept. This is the way the system is working. If you pay attention, we, everybody will know this. I think uh, one of the reasons <clears throat> so many people in the West have uh, adopted the, the word karma or at least the rudimentary understanding of, of the concept is because it, it feels more like uh, a law of physics than some religious belief system. It's cause Why and effect. Why are you saying physics? Oh, cause and effect. Yeah. Okay, that's good. <laughs> cause and effect. It, it, it has that feeling of, you know, you do something, you have a thought, you have an action, you have, you say a word, there are consequences. No, no, that's very correct, Phil. there's no question about it. I, I, I couldn't uh, connect the physics and this. You're absolutely right, it's cause and effect. Please tell me, I'm sorry. So even if we don't understand the laws of physics, we're pretty confident they operate and, and they, they hold up to, to reason as opposed to a system where, you know, some entity is, is judging your behavior and calling it right and wrong. I think it's, it's one of the reasons karma makes sense to people. On the other hand, people um, get very uh, uh, oversimplified. And I, I run into people all the time and something happens, maybe uh, their house gets robbed. And someone says, well, it's your karma. You must have been a thief in your pe previous life. Or, or you, you have a car accident. You must have hit someone's car before. And um, <laughs> even what, when there what, were no cars. <laughs> what do you think of that kind even of Even when thing? there were no cars, you were hitting somebody. <laughs> Maybe your <laughs> horse smashed into somebody's horse. <laughs> Some nonsense. What do you think of that kind of speculation? See, is it a waste of time? A, there is a saying in uh, Kannada, you traveled in India, this is a South Indian language in Karnataka. Say, That means, somebody does something negative. If you speak about it, it will become yours. <laughs> ah. So, when it comes to karma, we must understand it. you should never talk about somebody's karma. You only look at your karma. This is about self-transformation. This is not you passing a judgment. Oh, you are suffering, you got virus, it, you must have bad karma, that's why you got it. Oh, you got cancer, you have bad karma, that's why you got it. Well, this is inhuman, this is not some philosophy, all right? This is just ridiculously inhuman. So you never talk about somebody's karma because that's not your business. It is not only not your business, that's not how it works. Just thinking, okay, they are suffering and it's their karma. Well, this is your karma now. This karma right. of, uh, you know, inhumanity is yours now and this will have a different kind of impact on you. So, karma means it's like saying I'm responsible for who I am, what I am. So, I am responsible is one life. 
you are responsible, Phil, for all the bad things that are happening to me, it's you, is another thing, all right? So, me saying it's your karma that you are suffering this is a, a very not only insensitive, it is not consistent with the nature of the karmic process because it's got nothing to do with those things. See, you may be whoever you are, you may be the most philanthropic person, you think you're the most wonderful person, right now uh, you're working, you took a wrong step, you will fall flat on your face because wrong step is a wrong karma. That's all. That is why, that is perfect and that you said it's like physics. <laughs> and I heard it not long ago, somebody said something very callous. Uh, somebody, there were people suffering about one thing or another, and they said, well, it's their karma. And I thought, and I said, your uh, attitude, your indifference, and your callousness about the other people suffering, that's your karma, and there are consequences to that as well. It is Am the I same correct? people, the callous people, some time ago they were saying, if somebody is suffering, oh, God is punishing them, what can we do? Let them suffer. Now they've shifted to new terminology, it's their karma, <laughs> all right? That's right, it, it, it's exactly like that, and it's it can be an excuse to not care to be complacent. Uh, see, about. it is an excuse to go on with your own little trash that you don't have to. See, being human, the problem of being human, I'm saying the problem of being human because if you were a grasshopper, you know, life would be so simple, just hop around. But in America, it's not simple because there's lawnmowers there. <laughs> yeah. Smashing them. Yeah. It's, it's pretty dangerous to be a grasshopper. <laughs> <laughs> very, very dangerous, I'm seeing. Because people are mowing the lawn so religiously, I think it, being a grasshopper in America may be very difficult. <laughs> very difficult. But generally, grasshoppers in the rest of the world are happy hopping all over the place. That's why we don't see any, they're always <laughs> hiding from us. So, if you are some small creature, nature would have determined most of your life. I'm just saying these percentages and numbers are not uh, with any basis, I'm saying off the cuff. See, if you came as any other creature, only 10% oh, nature would give you latitude to express your individual nature. Ninety percent, nature has fixed it for you. That's the way you will be. If you're a tiger, you're like this. If you're a fox, you're like that. If you're a grasshopper, you're like this. It's all fixed. Only ten percent latitude to express your own individual nature. Among a pack of uh, foxes, one fox will be little smarter, a little dumber, little something, okay? That latitude is only ten percent. But with a human being, only 10% is fixed, 90% latitude. It is this freedom that they are suffering. If you see, this is my karma, that 90% of life will come into your hands 100%. This is the important step that a human being has to take. There are some things we cannot change, leave them. But there are many things we can change. If you don't do that, what it amounts to is, See, if we do not do what we cannot do in our lives, that's not an issue. But if we do not do what we can do, we are a disastrous life. So seeing that my life is my karma means you are avoiding the disaster. Everything that you can do, you will do.
What you cannot do, anyway you cannot do, what about it? In the book you say that there are two kinds of action. It's on uh, page 78 for people listening in. You say there's something called uh, karma nashama or nashama that Karma nashana, nashana. Nashama? Nashana. That destroys karma and karma vritti, which breeds karma. I found that fascinating because I, my understanding is that every action creates karma. And you're saying, no, there are actions that actually do not. They don't breed karma. Could you, could you distinguish See, Certain activities entangle you. Certain activities liberate you. This is what we are saying. Vruddhi means growth. Nashana means destruction. So, right now, whatever is happening around you, in terms of family, in terms of street, in terms of world around us, how we approach those situations, certain type of approach, certain approaches will get us entangled in the process. Entanglement is not just in the external situation, internally you will experience entanglement. People keep ask, asking me, Sadhguru, all the things that, I, that you are doing, you know, the number of projects, the number of things, anything that happens, I will jump into it. Sadhguru, you keep on jumping into how will you manage this? Won't it break your head one day? And all this, uh, you know, there is a whole lot of clowns in the social media who will be continuously campaigning against me, the ultra-left and ultra-right. Both of them are against me all the time. So... <laughs> You must be doing something <laughs> yes, right <obviously. laughs> So all the time they're not just <laughs> commenting, they're abusing me. Not just me, my mother, my wife, everybody they're abusing, okay? So people ask, Sadhguru, doesn't it affect you? They're saying all this. Say, see, for me to step into what I have stepped into right now in my life, I made myself in such a way whether somebody praises me and makes me, uh, you know, in their minds the biggest possibility that a human being can be or even beyond that, some people say you're God, all right? <laughs> that doesn't elevate me in any way. Somebody says you are devil, that doesn't take me down in any way because I am not a collage. Most people are just collages of things that have gathered. This is what karma means. It's a collage. A person is a collage of many gatherings. I am not a collage. I am a complete being. I have so much memory. I have more karma than anybody would imagine. In, in memory, in conscious memory, I have more karma than most people can imagine. But it is just there. If I want, I will use it. Otherwise, I will leave it. This is how it's supposed to be. On your phone, there are many GB of memory. What you want, you will use. What you don't want, you don't go there. That's how it should be, your karma also. You can switch off your phone and keep it. My phone is off most of the time, that's all. So, it is not that I don't have karma. There is karma. All these people can do whatever they want. They can praise me to glory or they can abuse me. Do what you want. But who I am has not been formed by your opinions. Who I am is not formed by collage of activities that I have performed. Whatever I have done till now means nothing to me. 
what I will do in the next few years as if my life depends on it will mean nothing to me in the sense it means something to me in terms of its impact in the world. But it means nothing to me as a person because my who I am is complete. It's a complete picture by itself. It is not a collage. So what somebody says does, well, it may impede my actions or it may facilitate my activity. In that context, yes, but it doesn't make any difference to who I am. This is something every human being has to come to. That is, if you learn to, uh, let me use modern, you know, I'm not a very technology person, but let me play with it a little bit. If you carry your karma in the cloud, no problem. You know, memory cloud. It's coming with you. No problem. It may be a black cloud, but it gives you shade, all right? No problem. But the moment it starts pouring on you, then there is a problem. So you, <laughs> you keep it up floating all the time. There is really no problem how big a cloud you have, how black it is. It is not a problem. The problem is only when the black cloud starts leaking. Very good. Uh, we have a bunch of questions from listeners, but I have one more for you. Um, you write a lot about karma yoga in the book. There's an old song in America, and it, it goes, it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. And that, that sounds like what you said about karma yoga. Most people think of karma yoga as the action of doing some kind of service. And you were saying it's, it's not the kind of action you do, it's how you do it. See, our Please life and the quality of our life is not determined by the content of our life. It is only determined by the context of our life. Right now, uh, there are three people sitting here. You can simply, very easy it is to think, oh my God, these three devils who are sitting here and create a whole lot of, you know, struggle within yourself. They may rob you, they may kill you, they may do this, they may do that. The same three people are sitting here. If you hold them in a context of love or involvement or, you know, as the human beings that they are, Whatever kind they may be, they may be any kind, it doesn't matter. So your karma is not determined by who is around you. Your karma is determined by how you respond to who is around you. So it is a context. So if the context changes, then the content really doesn't matter. You want to change the content, if something is… See, right now I'm sitting on a chair. Suppose the chair is not comfortable, I can change the chair. But my discomfort of sitting on this chair need not make me miserable or joyful. I am joyful anyway. Maybe there is some discomfort, I would like to change the chair, but this is not going to determine the quality of my life. If only this chair is possible, no other chair will ever come my way in my life. I will learn to sit comfortably in this chair, I'm okay because it's the context. The context is entirely in my hands. Content is never entirely in your hands. 
Nobody has absolute control over the content of their life, but you have absolute control over the context of your life. What you do may be determined by various situations, but as your song, whoever wrote the song, how you do is entirely determined by you. It reminds me of something uh, somebody I interviewed recently told me about something Buddha said, that uh, whenever there's dukkha, suffering, there, you're, there are two arrows. There's the arrow that hits you that you, can't have, you have nothing to do with, and then the second arrow you hit yourself with, and that's what causes… It's the response. <laughs> …the suffering. Are you responding or reacting? That's a difference. Mm. Hmm. Let's see what the uh, selected questions from the audience are. Here's the first one. I've suffered from anxiety since I was a kid. It's genetic. In karmic terms, is there anything I can do to make sure that my future child doesn't have this issue? See, you shouldn't postpone it uh, that far of a future child. You must see, we can make a plan for you how in the next three months your anxiety can come down to a certain level, in the next six months where it should be, in the next twelve months where it should be, we can make a plan for you. Don't think about the future child, the future you. If the future you is fixed, see, there is enough information today. We've always been saying it, but people laughed. Ah, oh, what, what are they talking about, these yogis? Do they know what they're talking? This is not science. But today, modern science is clearly saying that you can rewrite your genetic material within twenty-four hours if you wish. You can rewire your brain within twenty-four hours. So, do not dismiss or do not, uh, you know, kind of uh, be in this state that because my parents or their parents had anxiety, I must have anxiety and now the fear my child may have it. It is not necessary. We can reverse this by changing the very chemistry of your system. There are means and methods to do that. The question is only do you have the commitment to put yourself through that process. Because if you want to change the genetics of who you are, if you want to alter the genetic information within you, it will need a certain level of focus and involvement with certain practices. But I would say in six months' time, you can bring yourself to a place where you are much less anxious than where you are right now, wherever you are right now. You can make it and how to make these yogic practices and the medicines that you may be consuming, how to match those two and how to slowly come out of that chemical usage also can be planned, but it needs a very committed approach. I hope that helps uh, Tony, who asked the question. Uh, the next one is from Lakshman, Lakshmana. Uh, does karma get stored in our body or our muscles as stress and tightness? And when we practice hatha yoga, does it help? Yes, very much. Karma? Actually, uh, it is not only in your muscles. Muscular accumulations or physical accumulation in the form of acids, in the form of various other chemicals is uh, far more superficial 
I would say if you just sleep well in the morning, it may be gone actually. Any number of, almost everybody would have experienced this. Let's say yesterday you had a, a difficult day at work and uh, you were feeling all tight. You just had a shower and went to bed. Morning when you wake up, it's all gone. You don't feel that anymore because just restfulness will take that away. So either sleep will take it away or just you being restful will take it away. But every day, if you are needing the body, when I say needing the body, I know you said Hatha Yoga. Hatha Yoga is a way of needing the body so that why does a potter need the clay? Why does a baker need his dough? It's simply because he wants to have it the way he wants to have it. You can, you can form any shape you want, you can give it any form you want, you can make the bread in its best possible way only if it's well needed. So the physical body, which is just like the earth, this is just a piece of the planet, if you don't need it well enough, then you will see it will cause various problems for you. Here in this country, we are thinking you have a problem only if you have a physical ailment. No, you don't have any physical ailment. Tell me, are, are, uh, are there more unhappy people who are healthy or more unhappy people who are unhealthy? If you are at least, if you have ill health, at least you have a good excuse. You are healthy and you are miserable, there is really no excuse. There are more people like that. The healthy people driving on the street, driving their dream cars and going. How many joyful faces do you see on the street? Unfortunately, very, very few. Usually they are stolen cars, I think, those guys who are very, very joyful. <laughs> So, so this karma as a way of getting it out chemically from the system, Hatha Yoga is a powerful tool in that direction. When I say Hatha Yoga, it needs to be done with a certain understanding and awareness, then it can be a very powerful system to expand these karmic accumulations in the physical body where your body can feel like a bubble of air, you know, it floats around. It doesn't, you don't have to drag it around, it floats around. Right now it's a heavy bag of karma, but if you do the right kind of classical Hatha Yoga, then uh, your body will become like a, you know, bubble that floats ahead of you, literally. <laughs> There's another question from Spriha Singh. How do we correct a bad action from the past? that would have caused unintentional harm to somebody? Oh, nobody can fix the past <laughs> because it doesn't exist. Your... Uh, <laughs> if it existed, maybe there would be a fix, but because it doesn't exist, you cannot fix it. So, do not try to fix an yesterday because there is no such thing. What can they do in the present to alleviate the consequences or to whatever your karma is. Let's understand this. Let's understand this like this. Uh, <laughs> because in a brief amount of time, I'm trying to put it into the right context. Let's see, right now our understanding of time is like this. There is an yesterday, there is a today, there is a tomorrow. There is past, present and future. Past exists, exists only in your memory. Mm. Look up in the sky and see, does past mm. exist anywhere? It exists only in your memory. Future exists only in your imagination. 
simply because you have become competent enough to suffer your own memory and your own imagination, you are beginning to think your psychological realities are existential. I'm saying there is no physics to your past and future. It is just memory and imagination. Physics is only of this moment, the present moment. The present moment is the only reality. Please look at this and see, have you ever, have you ever, ever experienced any other moment than this moment? This moment is eternity. You never experienced any other moment. So how do you fix something that has never existed? Even yesterday when you were experiencing something, at that moment it was this moment, isn't it? So your whole experience of life is in this moment. So your body carries imprints of the past. It doesn't exist. Your mind carries imprints of the past. That's why I said residual imprint because it's only a footprint. It is not a person. So if you see somebody's footprint, you know somebody walked this way, but that person is not here right now. Similarly, you walk that way. You are not there anymore. You are yesterday, you walked through those sands yesterday, but you don't exist there anymore. So right now the fundamental mistake you are doing is, you are misunderstanding your psychological activity as real. It's not real, it's made up by you. It is you who is making this happen, you are taught. Using the memory bank, you are just making up things. So if you use the memory bank, use it in your favor. Why are you using it against yourself and everybody around you? You must use your memory in, in the favor of life that you are and all the life that's around you. So for this to happen, the most important thing is for you to understand you cannot be conscious of the past. You can only remember the past. You cannot be conscious of the future. You can only imagine the future. You can only be conscious of that which is existentially true, which is right now. So, if you are really right now, you will see there is a natural distance between what is over and what is on right now. What is on and what is yet to be tomorrow, there is a clear space. For you to experience this space very distinctly, you just need to do a simple process. We have offered this and millions of people are practicing this in the world. It's called Isha Kriya. It's a simple way of distancing yourself from the bag of memory, from the bag of karma. Where is your karma? It is all in the physical body and in the psychological sphere. If there is a little space between you and your uh, body, there's a little space between you and your mind. This is the end of karma. This is the end of karma. Right now, the whole inner engineering process is just this. We are teaching a powerful process that will take time to learn immediately if you want to do. Start doing a simple process like Isha Kriya, which takes 12 minutes a day. You just bring this awareness that what you have gathered cannot be you. Right now, I gathered this body. Now, I'm wearing this clothes. This cannot be me. This may belong to me, but it's not me. Similarly, this body, it belongs to me, but it's not me. Similarly, all the content that I've gathered in my head, it belongs to me, but it's not me. If this distance arises, not just as an intellectual understanding, but as an experiential possibility, this is the end of karma for you. You are like a fresh newborn baby just now. You can live your life absolutely fresh, unimpeded by whatever your 
past actions are. If you caused harm to somebody, you want to go and fix that with them, that is a social thing, you can go and fix. That is not a karmic thing. Karmic thing is just this, the two bags that you're carrying. Uh, can I tell you a joke, Phil? Because <laughs> this is getting serious <laughs> On a certain day, Shankaran Pillai got into the Indian Railways train. It is a habit, you know, it's a way of uh, doing things in India, that people tie up all the things that they want uh, into a bundle, and he was carrying it on his head. He went into the train and he sat down. He found his seat and sat down. But the bundle remained on his head. So people around looked at him and they said after some time, hey, why don't you keep the bundle down? Shankaran Pillai said, no, 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 it's okay. Then uh, somebody said, see, if you have something valuable in that, you put it down and sit on it, that is safer than keeping it on the head. He said, no, nothing valuable, just my clothes. You. Then after some time they said, see, our necks are aching. Please put the damn thing down. He said, no, no, it's all right. They said, why? Why are you carrying this bundle? He said, you know, I don't want to burden the train. So don't be this kind. Put your damn karma down anyway it travels with you. You're not going to lose it, believe me. You create a little distance from your body, your mind, you're not going to lose it, it's going to come with you. Your karma is not going to go away, it's going to come with you. But with little distance, it's like wealth. But when you're stuck in it, it's a horrible thing. This uh, Shankaram Pillai is a very interesting fellow. You use him for a lot of <laughs> stories in your book. He's He's my karma, he comes with me. <laughs> I can't wait to meet Mr. Pillai. He's uh, got a lot of stories. Tomorrow I have one... morning, tomorrow morning uh, when you wake up and you want to brush your teeth or shave, you just closely look at the mirror, you will meet him right there. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll remember your instructions for proper brushing now, conscious toothbrushing. I learned you're a champion toothbrusher. Uh, one last question. It's usually the first kind of thing I ask, but I want to ask it now. You're a busy man. Why did you take the time to write this book? Why did you find the, the subject and what you had to say important enough to devote that much time? I know how long it takes to write a book. Why did you do it? Well, Phil, you write Vedas, it will take a lot <laughs> of time to write those things. Uh, this is uh, something that lives within me, it doesn't take too much time, but yes, among the 123 books that we have published till now, most of the books are just compilation of my talks. I never even edited them or read them. What I have spoken, they're just printed. Only three books that I spent some time on is one is Inner Engineering. Another book I published in the beginning of 2020, because uh, somewhere in my mind something has happening. I did not really, you know, as you said, I'm a busy man. I. I did not spend enough time sitting down and looking what it is, but I knew something was not very good. So I published a book called Death, The Inside Story, which is still a bestseller in India going on. Only in India we published that. In English? Huh? In English. In English. I will ask them to send you one. Good. So karma is because 
There are many reasons. One immediate reason is the time of this pandemic is the best time for you to understand our life is our making. See, right now everybody is complaining and screaming. But if you look back at the previous generations, what they have gone through, people who faced World War II and your community, what they went through during those times, World War One, many, many horrible things, all right? The Civil War, uh, the, you know, the, the Civil Rights Movement, different people, what they have gone, gone through in this world, if you look back hundred years, we as a generation have lived the best possible life in utmost comfort, most organized, everything, survival taken care of, everything. Well, still there are many people, unfortunately, in those war-like situations, but largely in the world, most of us have had the best possible time we can have compared to last five generations of people. If you look at it, we've had the best time. If you were there in World War II time in Europe, <laughs> whatever is your karma, you can go get blown to bits. You are a sage or a sorcerer, you will get blown to bits because a bomb fell next to you or a bullet went into your body or whatever, all right? So this is not that kind of a problem. This is a much softer ball. If you are little sensible, we can hit this well. The simple thing is just this. See, unfortunately, too many people have lost their life. That is a concern to me. But otherwise, the only thing that's happening to us is a little change of lifestyle. Everybody is screaming, economy, economy. Yes, it is a painful thing, businesses have closed down, many, many things. Even we as an institution, last fourteen, fifteen months, with so many thousands of people active and so many projects on hand, we are sitting here without any revenue. Uh, you know, it's not easy, it's tough. But this is only change of lifestyle. I don't think we should complain of change of lifestyle because lifestyle is a consequence of times in which we live. Life is the most precious thing. We must ensure we should not die and nobody around us dies. This is all that's important. Lifestyle, what could happen if the economy goes bad, let's say across the world, what could happen? Maybe we will start living as we were living twenty years ago. That's the worst that can happen. Twenty years ago, you and me were fine, Phil. <laughs> I'm saying, we had much less, yeah. we had much less, but we were fine, all right? So if that happens, only lifestyle changed. Life is fine. We need to understand this, that we should not be so horribly committed to our lifestyles. Uh, lifestyle is fine. Life is important. If life you know is important and you keep the life well, you can conduct this life in style. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the great lessons of yoga philosophy, that our happiness, our fulfillment is not dependent on outside things, even owning a phone. So thank you for that. Thanks for writing the book. And I hope everybody reads it and gets a, a great, because they'll get a lot from it. I'm told we have to uh, bring this to a conclusion. Namaskar, it was thank great you. to see you Thank again. you, Phil. Wonderful. Hope to catch up with you after you start your golf. Huh? 
we're we're switching roles. I'll take up golf and you write books. And uh, <laughs> someday I will I will uh, accompany you on a golf course. That's that's one of my goals. Not the motorcycle, but the golf. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Phil. Thank you very much. Take good care. Namaskar. It's a joy to be with you. Namaskar.